don't anybody move, we are in a lot of trouble. There's just one place left for us to go. I mean, three guys like us, we got to go with style. Harlem. Harlem. Yeah. Is that how you pronounce it? Oh, Sheree. Sheree, okay. 
Yeah, uh, thank you for joining me to talk about uh, Ralph Bakshi's uh, minor masterwork, uh, 1975's Coonskin, which I will refrain from saying too much <laughs> throughout the course of this podcast. <laughs> um, I, uh, I discovered this film about two and a half years ago, and when I first saw it, I, I absolutely hated it. <laughs> and did not understand what it was about or <laughs> have any clue why it would be like considered a good movie. <laughs> but the more I like delved into it and the more I like started learning about it, and the more fascinated I kind of became by it. And by the third watch, I was pretty sure I was actually watching something I enjoyed and like had good subtext for what it's trying to say about race relations in America. I just think the main problem with the film is that, you know, whatever, whatever good social satire, you know, Bakshi pulls off, it's draped in blackface caricature and it's hard to watch it a lot of the time. And I, uh, what were you going to say, please? I watched it one and a half times. Uh, <laughs> um, one and a half, because I was like, perhaps it's me. Um, I kept trying to remind myself that this was of the time it was made, but still, like, there's just so much wrong with it. Like, again, it's something that fails women specifically. I think so, too, and I'm so glad you, you saw that, because I think it does fail women while trying to sympathize with them. I just, it, it felt like it was a bunch of crude drawings that, like, a high schooler would put together if he made it to a movie. And then to know that this was put together by somebody who wasn't even black, I just, but like, I guess I got to focus on one point at a time. Otherwise I, I'll lose track of all of my thoughts. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm really happy you have like a far different opinion from your uh, impression of this, you know, cause at first I, I thought it was like far too crude to have subs substance and I, I didn't take it seriously and I felt kind of frustrated by it. And then I started kind of seeing what it was about, and then I started kind of looking into the black exploitation films that it's parodying, and if and Bakshi was highly frustrated by portrayals of the mafia and the Godfather, and once I started understanding that angle and what he was trying to say about those movies and how they like <laughs> create sympathy for these like outlaw characters that are really just you know, big, you know, they're big crooks and they, they've been taking advantage of, you know, not just their position, you know, in the marketplace. They've been doing that by <laughs> creating a racial bias and like positioning themselves through the use of different types of <laughs> racially motivated, you know, elements. And I think some of the stuff in this film is a matter of like Ralph Bakshi being a guy of his time. And he's trying to be really honest about what he sees, but he's also, like, trying to explore the subtext of, you know, male power figures in both black and white media. And even though I think, like, some of these things are, are a failure and, like, the animation is almost so bad we can't, we can't take it seriously, I do think there is an element that he's trying to say where societies get so caught up in tradition that they don't actually think with logic. And it reflects in our media of the time. And, you know, I, I really kind of admire the fact that he was willing to hire black animators to work on this film. He wanted to create a marketplace for black animators and for black actors in animation when there wasn't one. And I think that should be commended while we also understand the failures of this film in media and how we can avoid these failures and make better media for both black and white culture. <laughs> I definitely think it, it, I know it was the 70s, but it also is just like a super duper fucking point in like today's arguments of how it's one thing to invite a black creator into a space. It's another thing to let them actually do what they would like to do and tell their own stories. Oh. Because this is definitely not this was not created by black people. <laughs> um, it was not created by like feminists. It was not created by people who are not a little bit homophobic or a lot of bit homophobic. It was created by this one man who has all of his own flaws and opinions. And so hiring people to help him carry out this thing that's just like really fucking offensive. And I get that like it's of the 70s. So there's always that little bit of a part of people who are from that era, like 
I'm sure if I were to go talk to my family, some of them are like, oh, no, I have fond memories of this because there's just never enough content for people of color to see themselves. So they'll latch on to anything, which is why the trajectory from black exploitation to noun has been so slow and so bad. And it's just like we're supposed to be happy with crumbs at all times. And that's not it at all. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and yeah. this is one of those. Unfortunately, this is a sad step towards getting a step that's probably aging badly, but not as badly like Hollywood Shuffle and other films where black people are actually creating it and actually starring in it and actually like making it something worth being proud of and looking back on. Totally. Yeah. I mean, and I re- I really think like the film wouldn't have any exceptions if it wasn't for the performances of its leads because Scatman Crothers and Philip Michael Thomas are incredibly great actors. The only... The only performance I find kind of disappointing is Charles Gordon, and he's like a theater, like legend, and he had had several plays that were like incredibly well received, and I just feel like he's not a born film actor. I think he's a theater actor exclusively in the manner that he like projects himself on film, because it seems like everything he does is yelling, and it frustrates me. And his character doesn't have enough like substance as a character to register as anybody worth sympathizing t- with to me. Yes, like I feel, I feel like there's definitely that thing where some actors can't transfer to both, especially back then, because I don't believe that there was specific training for either. I think that that is a new thing because it was just like, well, you're doing this, so you might as well do that. People like to see you. Um, I want to circle back to Scott May Carruthers because I, I, I feel like his career is one of the saddest parts of history and that this gifted and talented actor was always sort of forced into these roles that were beneath him. Like he did The Shining, what, four or five years after this? And it was rewritten so his character dies because Magical Negroes die in Stephen King and in horror. So like he doesn't yeah. get a part and he doesn't get to survive and like do other stuff. He's always relegated to being like this one older black man who has this thing coming or is this way. And I just, I feel so bad because there was so much talent there and I would have killed to see him do something that he could be proud of and not just like grateful to be invited to whatever the shit show was. Yeah. I mean, his, his performance is incredible in this. And like, there was a, there was a long while where I didn't realize like how how Bakshi had taken soul riding credit because I think the life that Scatman Crothers brings into this film, I think he should have been given a full riding credit along with it. Like even his songs, I I especially hit the one up top, but the one later on where Miss America hangs him at the end of it, I yeah. feel like that was maybe one of the few moments of substance was that song. I'm the minstrel man, the cleaning man, the pole man, the shoe shine man. I'm a nigger man. Watch me dance. Yeah, I got the devil in me. Been waiting on welfare line, unemployment line, gas line since nine. Now I'm waiting on the pawn shop line. Hey, I got the devil in me. Been shot on, pushed on, gassed on, passed on, red, white, and blue on. Now I'm waiting to turn on. Yeah, I got the devil in me. It's the man you see. I'm a natural black face, and up my sleeve I'm holding an ace that I won't die in disgrace. But it was in this, like, wild world of chaos. And so I, yeah, I would have liked to have seen it one more time, but I did not make it back to that the second time I tried. I'm glad you brought up the Miss America bit, because I think that highlights, like, one of the few redeeming things about this film is that it, it never actually positions... It's black people as the sole responsibility for their actions because they're always being manipulated by a white power base. Yep. I, I would agree. I, I would agree that's one of the things that gets right because especially in this era where like drugs are being introduced in these black communities and right. <laughs> you're finally getting onto the whole you can't have an abortion, you're a welfare mom situation. And it's, I feel like there was almost something there. But again, when the creator's not of a community and they don't have firsthand experience and they're not inviting people into the room to actually like do the creating, things get lost in the shuffle. So like this, this, I don't even know, I guess I will just call her Miss America. Uh, comes yeah, across, that's what everybody calls her. I've never seen yeah. any other description. Yeah. Like it, she just comes across as another like 
random woman uses a prop in this shit. And because like her boots are always out and they're always perky. That's something else I noticed is that like all the white girls had perky boots that were always out. <laughs> all the black women had sad boobs that were like on the ground. And I'm just like, first off, this is another ta- attack against black women. And we don't need more of those. <laughs> um, we're, we're discarded enough. We don't need it coming from inside the house as well. Yeah, I think that's a big problem. Like, the black women are portrayed so terribly, it almost destroys the sentiment he builds up with the good dialogue. And even then, I don't think, like, the dialogue is necessarily amazing. I just think within the context of animation at the time, it was leagues ahead in certain ways than other animated properties. I, I will say, I, I would agree, because when I was watching it, I was like, this reminds me of Cool World, which I remember watching as a kid. And it was back yeah, but like decades apart. And so like for animation, I, I will give it that. I wish it could have been used in a more positive way because like I we just don't need more blackface or black footage. <laughs> we just don't ever. And I know that it was it's part of the history and it's part of the legacy and it's complicated because there's people like, oh my God, have you seen My Name is Dolomite on Netflix? Yes. Incredible. Right? And it, like, gave a whole other lens to these movies that we all sort of make fun of and look down on. Again, like, you have this Black man who's used to, like, not seeing himself in the media, and he gets all these other Black people who are tired of just being ignored and not being given an opportunity, and they make these, like, really shit-tastic movies, but, like, these kids get to see themselves on screen, and they get to grow up being like, maybe I can do this, maybe there's a space for me. And if we know here 50 years later that <laughs> that is still a battle, sadly. But it's just, it's weirdly inspiring and uplifting. And so it's it's definitely a complicated look. When I look at Black Exploitation stuff now, I have to like, if it's created by a Black person, I have to acknowledge that that Black person was dealing with all kinds of racism that even I'm not aware of, even though... <laughs> yeah, that's, that's another thing, too. Like, like I, Part of the reason I like this film is because it's unfiltered from a guy who maybe doesn't isn't quite aware of all the subtext that he's throwing into these films and what they say about him. And I feel like they're so raw. They teach me about the time and place they're from in a way other forms of media don't. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. I, it's, it's a complicated thing and it's something that I'm wanting to tackle more because I, I finally watched horror nor I think that's the name of it. I think it's on shutter. And of course, because it's doing like black history through horror movies, they definitely stopped in that era for a minute, which is why I feel like I need to see Blackula and scream Blackula scream now, because like I'm hearing it from people who were alive at the time and (laughs) they're talking about how this was a big deal and like the pride in it. But also it's, it's one of those things of who gets to tell these stories and how are they telling the stories? Because like, we can be felt by black people too. Like it's happened before. <laughs> yeah, and I, uh, I, I think it's a credit in a way that this film tries to talk about that too. But I don't think Bakshi is the one that should be talking about it. And I think like the, the, the level of humor he takes in in stereotype makes it like incredibly uncomfortable to think about. You know? Yes. No. It's it's cringy. It and it, it happens all the time because there's always those people who feel like they are on the right side of history. They get the arguments and they're on the right team, but then they just go too far and they get too comfortable. And that's why we have people who say things, and you're like, why? Why would you say that? Well, there's a like, pretty good reason why Bakshi thinks he's so like cool with the black community you know he, he's the hip white guy in the community <laughs> he uh he grew up like in this very specific place in new york that was like a small black community and he was there for like a good portion of his youth and then he left by the time he was like 12 or 13 and he was there when the when desegregation of schools was happening and he's the only like thing i've ever heard of about this i'm sure it happened to other people but they he was going to a black school because it was so much closer to his home and then when all this stuff started happening they pulled him out of the black school and took him away from his friends and you know the people that he'd been around his whole life 
So part of this, part of the sentiment of this movie is that he wants to like connect with those people and talk about why they couldn't get jobs and some of the issues they have. And he feels like he understands what black people find funny because he had spent a good part of his youth. But I also think like the perceptions <laughs> that he like came across as a young man are also skewed by him as a white man. And he's not quite aware of that. Yes, because like it's, I am the lightest member of my family (laughs) and it took me until I was definitely into my adult years, like well into them to understand that like being fair skin is a different privilege and it's a different situation. So our experiences are different, even though like we're all black and we all get racism. I get different kinds of racism than my sister does. I'll take her out to dinner or my brother. And so I can't, I can't tell their stories. I can't write a story about what it is to be a dark-skinned person in America. And I feel like this is definitely one of those times where it would have it would have behooved him to check his privilege. And if he wanted to like make those connections and tell those stories to get people in the rooms to do it for him and produce it and amplify it and support it as opposed to trying to tell it and making this mess. <laughs> this mess. That's I yeah I do think it is a bit of a mess even though I think it taps into like some of the frustrations that black people deal with and in animation at the time when there was no black people in animation and the only only time you saw any like any type of sympathizing with black people was next to nowhere I it's a small leap like it's a very small leap and I think we should like be moving away from this type of thing i understand like he thinks there's an element of black exploitation that's like false empowerment how like black young black men like black exploitation represents for young black men a way up through like crime or something in symbolism and he sees a connection between this and minstrelsy but i don't think he's able to like create enough points that aren't so abstract to make that come across the way it needs to, to be a timeless film. And I think being of that time is the best way a a white artist or something can learn from that and understanding that that is of that time. And that even though we have connections like this in the modern day, you know, even though like the Wu-Tang Clan were interested in remaking this movie, uh, we have like the boondocks, you know, like that, those are, those are black people trying to create media for other black people and express their actual tales. Like, and I, I think it's like awesome that the Wu-Tang Clan wanted to redo this. Cause I think if this movie had been made by a black person and had been handled slightly differently, it, we'd be considering it a, you know, straight classic without any, <laughs> you know, argument. But that's my own opinion. Uh, do you have anything to counter that? I definitely, I I agree, because I I also saw that the Wu-Tang Clan was into, like, redoing this, and I would be curious of what they could say from it, because, like I said, again, sometimes Black people will hurt Black people as well, especially when it comes to, like, Black men versus Black women. We're always failed. Look no further than our Kelly and all your Kelly fans out there who don't believe young Black girls, even though hundreds have come forward. So, like, I would, I would like to see what they want to say from this before I pass a judgment. <laughs> um, but also, again, it goes back to them being from that era and not having representation. So they're grasping for straws at anything. And so it, it's kind of sad because, unfortunately, like, some people grew up with Black Quotation being the only, like, venue to see themselves anywhere on media. So they have a weird connection to it. And so, of course, they want to try and salvage it. And, of course, they want to make it better. And sometimes those things work. Like, Lovecraft Country definitely (laughs) was not written by Black people originally. Like, H.P. Lovecraft was a known racist. Right. Um, I don't know about the person who originally wrote the series that Misha Green adapted for HBO, but I, I heard that they were a white person as well. So there was a couple of, like, weird hiccups there. Yeah. And, of course, Misha adapted it to HBO, and it's, it's, it's... It's also complicated because while it seems to be like a love letter to Black women, which we don't get a lot of, it's also not very helpful for anybody in the trans community or anybody who's non-binary. And it's just doing harmful stuff to that whole community over there. And so it's like, why can't we take care of each other while we're trying to take care of ourselves? But also nobody's being represented clearly and concisely and in a good light. So it's just, it's a free-for-all. 
that's a that's part of my biggest problem with the way masculinity is trying to be subverted in this film is that it only shows a subversion of masculinity as being like gay or non-binary and it puts off a bad taste throughout the whole film you know like the godfather's sons being these like rampant incestual <laughs> you know sons like it's 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 hard to watch like i don't find it funny and like i do think it like it's weirdly symbolic when they they like open the mother's ashes and play in her ashes and i'm not i'm not for sure what the hell that's about and some of this stuff i think is more like just Bakshi being a really like black humored guy, he he takes like he finds humor in the darkest corners of, of what he can put his subjects through. Um, I I do. Do you do you think the right the the little like riots that happened around this film were necessary? I I could see some protests going up. I I have weird I have weird complicated issues with censorship because usually censorship is used to deny people who need to be heard <laughs> from being heard. But, but like also this movie, I mean, let people see it. It's, it's offensive and it's awful, but also I don't know if it's as racist as some other things that have come out. Like I we're living in a world post the help post green book where we're still telling these stories of white saviors and saying it's a black story um, so like, I, I don't understand how, I don't understand where our levels and lines are for comfort and discomfort before we like go protest something. Because like, <laughs> I, if I had it my way, a lot of things would have never been greenlit. But unfortunately, Hollywood oh, is fine with it. Yeah, like <laughs> Hollywood's fine with it. There's just like, these are depictions of someone. Oh, well. And we also just, I, I feel like as a people, we... Like I said, we refuse to take care of each other. It's the reason why people can like stand up still and clap for Dave Chappelle, who does so much homophobic, transphobic humor in his stand up now and refuses to apologize or knock it off. And instead of us talking about that, we talk about how he holds up black people, which he does. But again, like, why can't we take care of each other? Why is it always just this one? And why can't we critique something? for being wrong here while also like acknowledging what it's doing right. I don't think people understand nuance. <laughs> and that is one of the things I'm finding difficult as we navigate this new world where people just assume it's fixed because this has happened or it's fixed because this election went this way. And oh, it's man. like, nothing's ever been fixed in this country. And it, no. I don't think it ever will be in my lifetime for sure. So like we have to stop saying that and doing that and understand it's broken and see what we can do to make it better on our individual levels. I'm really glad you came to talk to me about this because, I, you know, while like I think this movie has a massive amount of problems, and I totally see why people are frustrated about it. I think it gets at the the problems like white people have expressing <laughs> how they feel about black culture and how they how they want how they want to reach out to black culture, but they don't understand why black culture isn't accepting towards white people. And it's a very simple reason, you know, because you know white people have subjected black culture to tons of hard to name terrible things over the years and they've been segregated and one of the things i like about this f film is the first uh, scatman crothers film when he talks about how he's been like red white and blued on and ready to turn on i think that has a very valid point that black people have always had to kind of create a separate culture outside of white culture yes because literally nobody asked to be here. <laughs> um, our ancestors were brought here and then we were given scraps and abused. And so like, of course we're used to having to make the best out of a shitty situation, which again is why so many black actors had to take so many shit roles just to get on screen. Like how many maids did we see for those first few decades of film? Like, <laughs> and how many drug addicts and hookers did we see even up until the nineties? Yeah, that takes us to like, post manigan like after he's killed the cop and then like he has this whole little thing about like um like mammy caricatures running around and you know like i i think that's a i think that's i think this is a visual movie and i think you can only accept it as a visual movie because on a like dialogue level it's pretty frustrating even though i think there's some like 
okay, like, lines here and there critiquing what it's talking about, but he tries to express, like, so much, like, black culture through, like, visuals, and there's no more subtext beyond that, and it makes it, like, very frustrating, <laughs> because I, I totally see what he's doing, but he's not giving these people any, like, dialogue to actually do, like, they're... They're just running around doing their little thing, you know, and they laugh and cackle, but they don't have anything they're saying to the viewer. It's and- it's almost like a bunch of vignettes breaking up the story of Rabbit and them. It's just, it's random bits and pieces. And so, like, it's hard to figure out what the overall arc should have been, could have been. And also all the nameless Black women, like the one who had the roach, then the rat, and was rocking the baby, I don't think she gets a name. I don't think either of the prostitutes they show up and kick in the stuff had names. <laughs> I don't, it's just, it, it's kind of just like a random hot mess of possibly good intentions, we would hope. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think like her little monologue, the one you're talking about with the rat. I know I ain't pretty, but that's not why my man left. That leaving left me alone and lonely and hard to sleep. Like, I think that little monologue is probably the best point for creating sympathy to its characters, because I think the film is about stating that animation in American media has been wholly subjected on creating these stereotypes and projecting these stereotypes to create a white power base. So, like, the problem, like, is that he never, like, gives these characters enough agency to, like, when she talks about, like, becoming friends with this little mouse, I, I believe it's a mouse that's running around, like, her apart. No, it's a cockroach. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that all, like, comes from, like, Harriman comics, Crazy Cat comics, and things like that. It's about how there's, like, this symbolic relationship between Crazy Cat and the other people, the other two people in the, like, story, and how they don't really work together without each other, and, but I, I do think it's, like, so oblique, it almost, it almost doesn't create emotion in a way, like, <laughs> yeah. It's, it, we don't get to have emotion because we don't get to know anything about this woman other than what this random white man has given this character or caricature. I should say they're all caricatures. There yeah. are no characters. Yeah, here. like all the white people are caricatured too. I think that's probably the best like tactic for Bakshi to take. Like, But those caricatures still don't carry as much weight as the blackface caricatures he drapes his other characters in. No, especially the ones who were drawn normally. And while I get that, like, the argument could be made that they were drawn normally so that they could be the joke of their own lives, their own realism, as opposed to what was going on everywhere else. But instead, it comes across as you decided to take these blackface caricatures and put them all over this movie and then, like, draw these white people as normal white people. Yeah, uh, I, uh, when I, uh, when I first started, like, like, trying to go through this film and really piece it together, it started making me think about how, like, persistent, like, this big lip caricature is in animation. And I think, like, part of the subtext of this film is showing that these film, these things are so persistent that they haven't gone away, you know, post Jim Crow. They are still there within animation throughout the world. They're still in there and how we portray media. I think the idea that, like, like, the idea that, like, Miss America is this, like, projection of Rabbit. I, I personally think Miss, Miss America is a projection of Rabbit's misogyny because he's, like, an ultra, you know, competitive guy that's trying to, like, make his way in the world. He's lost his, like, family home. How you been, Daddy? I bet you're wondering why I'm here after such a long spell. Just here to tell you that me and Bear and old Fox are leaving. Because they sold our old house. Fox raises like he promised you and mommy would. But he's a little shaky now. I ain't shaky. And me and Bear have to take care of him. Or maybe I is shaky. I did all I could to save the house, but the bank sold it to some fat city slicker and he turns into a pleasure house. Me and the boys are going to be going back now to pick up our money from the city slicker and leave. 
uh, you know, Fox is way, way too shaky now to take care of them. If you like, listen, if you can listen to the t- the the text, because it, some of Baxter's dialogue is so terribly recorded, and I think that's a real mark against this film is that he didn't give them better dialogue to express their <laughs> performances with. Um, and like, I think Miss America is about how like young black men are duped into this ideal of misogyny through media and through their history. You know, unfortunately, there is a, like, form of history about, like, white women lying about black men raping them so they can do that. And I think, I I don't think, like, the imagery he puts together accurately conveys the numbers we see about how men and women (laughs) interact with each other. It, yeah. yeah, it creates like a odd disconnect, and like <laughs> I t- I totally see what he's doing, but it still like frustrates me every time I watch it. And then like th- here's another thing, like I know as a white person watching this film, I will get so caught up in these performances that I don't even actually think about like what they're doing or what they're saying or what the unintentional thing of it is. I just think the performances are so captivating sometimes that. <laughs> I like I can just watch this movie for pleasure pleasure because I think like these people are really trying to do something cool here and they have an opportunity to do something unique at the time they're doing it in. But even then, like I, there are moments that just make me like wretch. Like the whole little bit like after Manigan is killed. As I was telling you, Manigan's own racism finally caught up with him. Rabbit used it to wipe Manigan out. Now getting the Godfather was going to be tougher. But Harlem was still digging Manigan's death and started to step out. I think he tries to show that these people are beautiful despite the fact that they're subjugated, but they're still subjugated in such an inhumane manner. It's hard to it's hard to make me feel that they aren't stereotypes, you know? Yeah, no, like, it's just, it's it's a hot mess. There's actually a movie, because the original title for this was Harlem Nights, and I'm glad it's not, because the actual Harlem Nights was a better movie when I was a child. I've not revisited it. I'm sure it has not aged well, because Eddie Murphy and Richard Pryor. But what... I it, it it made me it made me long for more of the movies that came after where we had black people at the helm and black people having these actual conversations about the black experience and I I mean don't get me wrong it was not flawless I'm a child of the 90s and my brothers listened to a lot of rap and hip hop and it was all hoes and bitches and so like I I get that like it's always been shit for women especially black women in these or areas and corners because of course like aside from race gender is probably the next biggest issue as far as discrimination in this country goes I would say probably even more than class like I yeah because like it even in those higher institutions and those like richer situations it's always just like men women white black and so I I wanted to see those arguments in here. And I think that they were started. But again, you have someone who is on the more privileged side of the scale trying to have them and not doing them justice. Because there's so much to be said for white women accusing black men of rape because it's a tell as old as time. Like it's the reason that Oklahoma's uh, riots happened. It's the reason that, I'm sorry, it's not a riot anymore. We're using the, the word massacre because that's what it was. And I'm happy watching brought it to people's attention. It's the reason Rosewood happened because again, you have the status thing. So it's just like if you are a cis hetero white man, then you are winning in this country. Um, <laughs> next in line, cis hetero white women. And then you get into the gender and the homosexuality and the race of it. And so I feel like every one of those things, every rung on that ladder is a different viewpoint. And because he's at the top of the ladder, he doesn't get these conversations the way they need to happen. So even though he's trying to have them and maybe he thinks he's doing it well and maybe his friends were like, this is as close as we're going to get. And they jumped on it with him. It is not done well and it just comes across as offensive and kind of just like 
it, it's kind of it's kind of tossed aside because you have so much he's trying to shoehorn in here that I don't know what the original intent was going to be. And I, to be fair, I forgot we were in a breakout. I forgot this was a story from real people <laughs> breaking out of prison at the top of the movie. Until we get to the end. And I'm like, oh yeah. Cause it was just, it, it was a lot of things that were kind of almost trying to say something, but just doing them so horrifically that it, it, it demeaned whatever we're trying to say. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm sorry if you kind of hate me for making you go through this movie. I, I was, I was really like tired, crossing my hands trying to figure out if I should even ask you this for a couple of weeks, but I'm really I glad you came. I actually watched it because, like I said, it's been on my list for a while because people always throw me random movie suggestions. And I, a lot of my credits in undergrad were in the film school <laughs> and in like communications. And so it's been on my list forever. So I'm happy I crossed it off. And I could have an opinion. And it's actually really good timing because, like I said, I'm looking into getting us more exploitation era horror movies yeah. in season two of my podcast because of that documentary song Shutter. And then I'm like, oh, there's more to these than I thought. <laughs> um, so I, I gotta, I gotta like figure out who created what and when and how and where so I can try and track those down. Yeah. I, uh, I haven't gone through as much of these as I've wanted to. And I, like, I know some of the antecedents that, uh, Coonskin is going for. Like, you know, Cotton Comes to Harlem, I think, is an influence on this film. Um, the play Dutchman by, uh, Ari Amiri yeah. Bakur, I think that's what it's called. And I think that's what the Miss America bit is like a take on. I think it's a play on that idea. The Dutchman idea that you have this, uh, you know, white, uh, per- white woman that is like in this relationship with a black man and he's uh, like, feels like it's a manipulative thing or what have you. And I, I think it's a big problem how much slapstick Bakshi pours into this film because like the slapstick is off-putting. I, I think most of it's just off-putting. Like watching, watching that little black revolutionary get like beat up by Miss America. That's one of the toughest parts of the whole film for me. Especially because you again have this white man who's put this like black revolutionary in his relationship with Miss America. Yeah. And so that could be a conversation. And then like she proceeds to beat him up all of this time. And that could be a conversation. But he's so enraptured by trying to get laid. And it, so he just, just I, it, it doesn't, again, fails, <laughs> fails the person he might have been trying to like give a moment to because he's reduced to this man who's just like, I see boobs, gotta run at it. And it's just like, so you don't really have a purpose or a stance. You're just sort of. Well, I think like the Here. the thing it's trying to portray is that like Black America is progressing so fast on White America that White America is like incredibly frustrated or something. But I think the misogynist overtones of that joke render its point mute. Like, mute, you know, like it doesn't work. <laughs> no, it, it did not work because I I kept trying to find one character who didn't make me cringe <laughs> and oh. who I didn't hate. And that was not this movie. <laughs> I, uh, I, I really like Philip Michael Thomas's performance. And, uh, I think he has like a dry knowing wit about what he's doing. And like, he's very aware of the conventions he's playing around with. And I think it's a real shame. His arc isn't fuller. Like, you know, like he's, he's like a, a standard black exploitation hero. He's a victim of trauma from losing his house and his like whole thing to go to Harlem and like do something amazing, but he gets there and there's nothing there. So he returns, he returns to crime. I think that's a very pointed like take on what was happening in black exploitation movies at the time. And Philip Michael Thomas is such a great actor, even when he's like, Got almost no motivations, like thoroughly sketched out. He's he's pretty incredible to watch and listen to, the way he chews into scenery. I'm, I, yeah. I wish this. Yeah, go ahead. And again, that goes back to black people being so used to being handled anything that and having to make it into something. To where I I would love to sit down with all of these people, even though most of them are no longer with us, and just ask them like. <laughs> What, what kind of movie would they have wanted to make if they were allowed agency to make a movie back then for Black people and themselves to feel good about, as opposed to having to take whatever came across their desk and being like, it's this or another maid or crackhead. 
totally. And I think if like the good intentions of this film had played out anywhere near to what Bapshi wanted, there might have been a bigger space for black animators to work in that market. And I I think that was like part of the intention of this, but I don't I don't think he had enough experience to actually actually like make a film that would convey that and give a better space for black people of a creative nature to have in the marketplace. I I actually want to do some digging to see how many black creators he hired for Cool World and stuff that came after this. Yeah, I from what I understand, he had to fire all his black animators because Al uh, Sharpton came into his office with some goons and basically threatened, you know, basically was kind of like muscling in on him and telling him that he had to fire all his black animators because of this movie and everything. So I also think like, it, <laughs> I also think like it kind of exasperated some of the things he'd had <laughs> like in store for this movie. Like I, I, I wonder. This sounds bad. Like, I, I know Al Sharpton has done some very good things, but I kind of wonder if Al Sharpton was so against this movie because it portrayed preachers in a bad light and it was a good way for him to, like, create publicity for himself to rail against this movie in the way he did. I mean, I, I, that's a better theory than him giving a shit about how it portrays black women or women in general. Because it definitely fails both of those. And, like, from the few pieces I've read about it, nobody really comments on that. Like, even, like, Roger Ebert's um, review of it when it came out skates over how women are treated. Um, And the misogyny is right there. It's literally right there. It's the cherry on top of all the racism. And, like, (laughs) people are just, like, knocking it out of the way to get to what they want to talk about. And unpack how it could be good and what it how it's like edgy and it's like no I this is this was bad <laughs> and I get that there were a lot of bad movies from this time and so like I can't even point fingers because so much has happened since then that's also bad and offensive yeah. and I I I just think that unfortunately in American film black people are just always sort of I don't want to. They're always given shit. That's just kind of it. It's why a lot of the budgets and a lot of the creators don't get to do what they want or they have to do it in a way that appeases like NBC executives who have no idea who black people are and what they want. And so (laughs) if we're never given agency over our own stories and when we are, we're told to do it differently until it's not our story anymore. Yeah, we're both uh, big community fans, and uh, I I was that was part of the reason why I wanted you to watch this film with me because you have very incisive things to say about that show and how they handle black women, and I really enjoy your appearances on Six Seasons and a podcast. I'm I'm happy you came on and did that. It was very eye opening for me. Um, I've always liked Shirley as a character, and I discovered that show when I was 16. I watched the first episode on the night it aired. And, and like, that episode that people, like, really hate, I can't remember the name of it. It's the one where, like, Pierce pants Shirley, um, if you remember what I'm talking about. In that, yeah. Yeah, in that episode, like, the way they handle her agency is kind of, kind of bad because it's like, 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 Pierce is the one that, like, creates this big apology and Shirley just kind of accepts it. Like, it doesn't, yeah, yeah. And then here's what's, also messed up about that when i was like 16 and watching that i thought to myself wow pierce is right shirley is a mother and nobody in that study group can compare to having to deal with you know having the blessing of being able to raise a child up too so that also like this show also speaks to that kind of continuity we have where like you know white you know male creators aren't necessarily able to give voice to to these like other people that they're trying to do but they they try to do it through like a different mouthpiece and it comes off odd but if you're not aware of that subtext it can come off empowering as well literally because like as you know i i love community and i love that i finally saw something that i could love that also had three people of color in it and like women because like how often before community would that table have just been a bunch of white people or especially mostly white men. And so to see them as part of the reason I felt connected to it and drawn to it and I'm still protective 
but also because the writer's room did not reflect that table. <laughs> Things like that yeah. happened. Like, we we don't really ever get enough of Abed's family without it just sort of being like a falafel joke. And, of course, we don't really, like, give a whole lot of agency to Shirley most of the time, unfortunately, even though I feel like that's an intriguing character with a cool backstory. And I want more of that. But again, she was just kind of like the wife and the mother. And then we just sort of forgot about her for most of the episodes, even yeah. though she was in the room. <laughs> and so I, I love that. But also, again, it goes back to not having people in the room to help you navigate the characters. Because it's one thing to be like, we're going to make this diverse in- world and we're going to include everybody. And it's another thing to have your writer's room look exactly like you and th- then try to tell these stories. And so you can't, which is part of what sort of like shifted. And that's part of the reason Britta tapped out and started becoming a caricature as opposed to a char- character. Because like you have all these like white men trying to write this woman who's a feminist who's finding out that she's not as up on her game as she thought she was. And instead of them like following that journey they started, she did the I want pizza dance and me so hungry. <laughs> no, me so hungry. Me so hungry. You get it right. Me so hungry. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I totally agree. That's why, like, probably when I watch this film, like, I I have intense sympathy for, like, the characters he portrays. But then I wonder if I even know these characters or if they they even actually can represent real people because they're they're so thinly sketched. And the, the problem you bring up about women not having agency in this film is very real. And I think, I think like, uh, analyzing within that time is is a learning experience because this is a problem other male creators around him like Martin Scorsese have too, you know. Mean Streets, like, those women, they don't have agency in that story at all. Like, everything they do is just, like, male fetishization, you know, and then the males are living their life as crime lords elsewhere. Yes. Like, literally, because... <laughs> literally. And, it, again, it goes back to the way that America has handled this from the beginning. Like we were all raised that unfortunately the rung is this way. And so like you lose privilege points if you're not born male, if you're not born white, if you're not born rich. And so having people who check all those boxes and are dominated and are getting these things turn around and be like, instead of helping people who should tell me stories, tell me stories, I'm going to tell it for them. Um, it always comes across as weird and icky. And it's one of the things I've loved, hated in my own podcast, because we're going back to watch stuff that I grew up with. And I, because again, starved for representation, I didn't look at it critically. Also, I was a kid, didn't have the vocabulary, but now I go back and I'm just like, no, this is written by a white man. And that's why this character makes no fucking sense. That's why this character <laughs> makes no sense. And it becomes the joke of her own stuff. Um, so many movies have been ruined just this year with my own podcast because I haven't visited them in so long. And the last time I did, I was like 10 or 12. And I was like, ooh, agency, I thought. <laughs> but it wasn't. It was, again, here's a scrap for you. You're welcome. Yeah, um- would you like to promote your podcast a little bit? I don't know. I don't know if you feel comfortable with me releasing this at all, but I was at least going to use it for my essay, if anything. But you're welcome to plug your podcast and anything else you might like. Oh yeah, thank you. Um, my podcast is a nightmare at Fear Street. Uh, sorry, a nightmare on Fear Street. <laughs> me and my co-host uh, love horror movies, and so we've been doing them all um, in our little podcast and talk about them from our own lenses, me as a black woman in America who is fat, I will never see myself in a horror movie, especially as a final girl. Um, (laughs) And my co-host who is a gay man in Arkansas or just, we are not loved in the genre that we love. So we talk about it every Sunday and put it up every Monday. 